Thank you for listening to the Sharon Church Podcast. If you'd like to know more about the church, please visit us at SharonChurch.com. Now we hope you learn from and enjoy today's message. Grab your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 27, Exodus 27. We're going to finish up 27. We're going to go through 28 and 29 today. So I hope you packed a lunch, Uh, but we're going to do that together today. Just two verses at the end of 27. We're actually going to read through 28, and then I want to summarize 29. Um, And I would encourage you to read it throughout this week in light of what we're going to be studying here uh, this morning. On the screen will be the scriptures that I'm going to use this morning. And you can look at this, take a picture of it, write it down if you'd like to. I just want you to see that I'm not making any of this up. It's in the Word of God. It's in Scripture. I'm going to try to use it in context, uh, but I want you to be able to see it, that we're, what we're going through. And for you type A people, go ahead and get ahead of everybody else and find your spots. I feel like you accomplished something when you turned there before everybody else did. You can go ahead and do that. Congratulations. You get a trophy. But if you want to, it's all up on the screen here, here today for us this morning. I don't know how many of you <clears throat> have dishes in your house that are for display that you don't use. Anybody have dishes that you don't use in your house or just display? There were a lot higher percentage across the street in the chapel who had those, just so you know. <laughs> I don't know what that says, but I'm just saying that's, that's true across the street. All right. How many of you have candles in your house that you do not burn? You have candles because they look good and <laughs> yeah, there we go. All right. How many of you have furniture in your house that you do not use? You don't sit on it. You don't, it just, how many of it is covered in plastic? Any of you people? Okay. God loves you too. But okay, um, how many of you have clothes in your closet that you have not worn? Anybody have clothes in your closet? Okay, all right. That's a problem. We need an intervention for all of you. All right. So there are things in our homes um, that are more for display than they are for use. Yes? Okay. Now, I grew up in the era of video games when Nintendo had just come out, like the first Nintendo. Actually, I played Atari when I was real little. And then anybody else play Atari? Yeah, yes, my people. And then um, and Nintendo came out, and then uh, not too long after that, uh, Madden came out for some other game systems. And the first Madden came out, was that an amen? Man. Jim, I've been trying for two years to get that out of you, and I get it from Madden. All right, uh, so Madden, what, and this is going to, this will tell you a lot more about me than I want it to right now, but it's going to say some things about you. One of my favorite things about Madden was you could create your own team and stadium. Do you remember doing that in some of those games? Okay. And then you could create a player. You could create your own player. Now, um, all of us, we created ourselves, didn't you? Create yourself and you have 99s on everything. You are the best at everything when you create yourself. And then you get to the point where you can design like what uniform you want to wear, if you want to have an arm sleeve or like what shoes you want to wear and that kind of stuff. And so I would do all that. And I would, I would literally, I would do that for about an hour and a half. And then I'd be like, I, I don't think I want to play the game. Like I would spend all of my time designing things, not even have my player in the game. That's kind of what I would do. I coached um, high school baseball and volleyball for a little while um, in my younger years. And there was, uh, I remember this one kid on our team Gosh, he was awful. He was so bad. But we were a Christian school because you couldn't make cuts and so all that kind of stuff. We had to love each other and so we didn't make cuts. And (laughs) he got to play because he paid tuition. So he got to play. And uh, man, this kid, uh, he was an only child and he had everything, right? I mean, everything. 
He had all of the wristbands and he had the protector for his knee or leg, even though he never actually hit the ball. He didn't have to worry about himself. And he had the protector for the elbow. He had sunglasses that flipped up and flipped down. He had the Oakleys. He had all of it. Never saw the field. His parents said it was my fault. I say it's his fault he didn't see the field. Don't, don't put that on me. He's terrible. He should never. Anyway, but he looked the part, right? He looked the part, uh, but once you get out there, and you've seen, you've seen athletes today, right? They, they, man, they've got all the things on, um, and then they slide into first base, and they're mad that their jersey got dirty because they've spent three hours trying to put this all together. There are parts of our lives um, that are for they, they're ornamentation, right? They're just ornaments. We like to look at them. They serve no purpose. We just like to look at them. Whether it's couches or chairs or dishes or candles, whether it's what you create on a video game, whether it's, it's you yourself, things that we look at that we don't actually use. We're going to study a passage this morning in Scripture um, that if we're not careful, can leave us towards gazing at as opposed to, to seeing what it's useful for. There's this weird juxtaposition in here that you're going to see in Exodus 28. And it's crazy. I mean, it's just crazy the detail that goes in here and then the purpose of what is happening in Exodus chapter 28. So I want to start in 27. I want to finish 27. There's a shift here in Scripture in Exodus where the people of God have been rescued from slavery in Egypt. God has given Moses the blueprint of the tabernacle, this, this tent of meeting that they would take with them in the wilderness. I mean, he sees it all up on top of the mountain, just God and Moses. And now this shift happens to where he's given him the, the blueprints for the construction. And now he's going to focus on the people who actually work inside of the tabernacle. He's going to shift his attention to people. And we're going to see it happen here in chapter 27, verse 20. God tells Moses, you shall command the people of Israel <clears throat> that they bring to you pure beaten olive oil for the light, that a lamp may regularly be set up to burn. In the tent of meeting, outside the veil that is before the testimony, so in the holy place, but outside of the holy of holies, in that entryway, Aaron and his sons shall tend it from evening to morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever to be observed throughout their generations by the people of Israel. So the shift happens, and now we're meeting, kind of we're meeting Aaron and his sons, and we're given descriptions as far as what their job is. Aaron is the brother of Moses, that, that Moses was not going to go back into Egypt by himself. So God's like, fine, take your brother. And so Aaron comes, and Aaron becomes now the mouthpiece for Moses. Now, God's giving Aaron and his sons a specific role, and their lineage is very important throughout Scripture. And it begins with this lampstand inside the holy place that they have to keep burning. He says, you're going to tend it with this olive oil from morning or from evening till morning. Then he continues now on Aaron and his sons in chapter 28, verse one. Then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priest. You can underline that, serve me as priest, particularly the word serve and priests. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar, and you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. You can underline that phrase. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with the spirit of skill that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. Notice what he says here in verse three. The skillful. I want the best of the best. I want the ones that I've created with this skill. More on that in a few chapters. But I want the ones that I've given this skill to. I don't want someone who just watched a YouTube tutorial. 
Like, I need the person who knows what they're doing to make this. Verse 4, and these are the garments that they shall make. A breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checkerwork, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons to serve me as priests. And there's that line again, to serve me as priests. They shall receive gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twine linen. If you're paying attention, this is the same material that's used in the tabernacle, particularly inside the Holy of Holies. They shall make the ephod of gold, of blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and of fine twine linen skillfully worked. It shall have two shoulder pieces attached to its two edges, so that it may be joined together. And the skillfully woven band on it shall be made like it and be of one piece with it, of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twine linen. Now, I thought I could just read through all of this, and we could picture in our minds what this looks like, but it's really hard to do that. So I've got some pictures to show you. So here's the first one. This is not, this is not like an authentic picture from back then, just to be clear, uh, but this is a rendering. Uh, someone went to the work of actually constructing, actually building this, of embroidering and putting it all together. So here is what's being described. This is just an overview of it. <clears throat> and what we've learned so far is about an ephod. Ephod is actually a Hebrew word that we have no idea what it could actually mean. We don't have some, anything like it really probably in our fashion today unless the Kardashians wear it. And then up here um, on the top of the shoulder, you see the pieces that go back and then you see the sash, but the back of it's kind of like a cape. That's what many believe an ephod would have been. So it came over the shoulders and then all the way down the back. And so that's the ephod that's being referenced here. So that's the picture. Let's keep that in our mind. Verse nine, you shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on the one stone and the names of the remaining six on the other stone in order of their birth. So the sons of Israel were the sons of Jacob who would become the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. So in these 12 names, you've, you've covered every one of Israel. As a jeweler engraves signets, so shall you engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall enclose them in settings of gold filigree, and you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names. You can underline that. Bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. You shall make the settings of gold filigree and two chains of pure gold twisted like cords, and you shall attach the corded chains to the settings. And so this is a picture of the onyx stones on the shoulder, on the ephod. You see it set in pure gold. Then you see the rings, and then you see the chain, the gold chain, pure gold, woven together as a chain, and it's holding it to the breast piece, which we'll read about here in a second. So on these onyx stones, six on one side, six on the other, the 12 names of the tribes of Israel, the sons of Jacob. Verse 15, you shall make a breast piece of judgment. Judgment meaning discerning between uh, right and wrong, holy and common, helping people discern God's will. This is what this breast piece of judgment would have represented. In skilled work, in the style of the ephod, you shall make it. Of gold and blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen shall you make it. It shall be square and doubled, a span its length and a span its breadth. A span it's, is the distance between a grown man's thumb and pinky. That's called a span. You shall set it in four rows of stones, a row of sardius, topaz, and carbuncle shall be the first row. And the second row, an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond. And the third row, jacinth, and agate, 
and amethyst, and the fourth row, a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper, and they shall be set in gold filigree. There shall be 12 stones with their names, according to the names of the sons of Israel. They shall be like signets, each engraved with its name for the 12 tribes. This seems to be a common theme. You shall make for the breastpiece twisted chains of like cords of pure gold. You shall make for the breastpiece two rings of gold and put the two rings on the two edges of the breastpiece. And you shall put the two cords of gold in the two rings at the edges of the breastpiece. The two ends of the two cords, you shall attach to the two settings of the filigree and so attach it in front of the shoulder pieces of the ephod. You shall make two rings of gold and put them at the two ends of the breastpiece on its inside edge next to the ephod. And you shall make two rings of gold and attach them in front to the lower part of the two shoulder pieces of the ephod at its seam above the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And they shall bind the breastpiece by its rings to the rings of the ephod with a lace of blue so that it may lie on the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And so the breastpiece shall not come loose from the ephod. And so Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart. So now he's bearing their names on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. And in the breastpiece of judgment, you shall put the Urim and the Thummim. You shall put Irma Thurman, Uma Thurman. They shall be on Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. Thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. This Urim and the Thummim. We're not real sure what it means. Uh, it's all kinds of interpretations, but <clears throat> what's common is this. These would have been two maybe stones that would have been used for divine decision-making. So the high priest would have had these as some sort of way to make decisions like casting lots or rock, paper, scissors, but it's, it's divine. It's a way that God literally would speak to his people. We read that throughout the course of the Old Testament. And so he would have taken that with him and people would come to him with needing judgment, needing decisions. And this would have been a way the high priest um, bears the decision making on behalf of, of the people. So here's a picture of the breast piece and you see uh, the four rows of three stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. You see it joined. You see the blue um, strand of, of rope down at the bottom attaching it to the rest of the ephod. Again, this is what it would have looked like. And I know you're all jealous. No, we don't have any to give away. Uh, but this is, this is what the breast piece would have looked like. The breast piece of judgment or discernment or decision making. Then verse 31, you shall make the robe of the ephod all blue. It shall have an opening for the head in the middle of it, which makes sense. With a woven binding around the opening, like the opening in a garment, so that it may not tear. On its hem, you shall make pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet yarns around its hem with bells of gold between them. A golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate. That's the pattern around the hem of the robe. And it shall be on Aaron when he ministers. And its sound shall be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out so that he does not die. So we'll see this whole picture again. If you can see down at the bottom, you see the bell and the pomegranate, the bell and the pomegranate. The pomegranate uh, for a Hebrew, uh, when you open a pomegranate, it's full of hundreds of seeds, but also the juice of a pomegranate will stain your hands red. So the representation would have been shed blood that multiplies. That's the idea of a pomegranate to a Hebrew. So that's the alternating with the bell. The bell would have rung whenever the high priest would have gone into the Holy of Holies. And as long as he was in there with the bells, the people would hear it and they would then um, almost be there with him. They would be participating with him. And should that high priest have done something wrong, 
offered strange fire, not had uh, cleansed himself, he would fall dead and the bells would stop ringing. They'd have to get him out. And so that's, that's the point of, of the bells there. Then verse 36, you shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord. You shall fasten it on the turban by a cord of blue. It should be on the front of the turban. It shall be on Aaron's head. And Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts. So now Aaron is bearing guilt. The high priest is bearing guilt. It shall regularly be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. And here's a picture of that plaque on the front of the turban in Hebrew, the words, holy unto the Lord. And he bears this as he goes in on behalf of the people. 39, you shall weave the coat in checker work of fine linen. You shall make a turban of fine linen and shall make a sash embroidered with needlework. But for Aaron's sons, and that is a distinction between Aaron, the high priest, and then his sons who would be the priests. You shall make coats and sashes and caps. You shall make them for glory and beauty. And you shall put them on Aaron, your brother, and on his sons with him and shall anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. And so now here's a picture of the difference between the two. You see the high priest in all of his glory, and then you see the priest uh, to the side. Then it gets fun in 42. You shall make for them linen undergarments. All right. I'm the only immature one in the room. To cover their naked flesh, they shall reach from the hips to the thighs, and they shall be on Aaron, on his sons, when they go into the tent of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister in the holy place, lest they bear guilt and die. Very important underwear that they are to be wearing. This shall be a statute forever for him and for his offspring after him. And I also have a picture of the underwear. Not on a man, because that would be inappropriate, but this is the picture so they're just, they're linen boxers is basically what's happening here. It's a lot like when your mama said, hey, put on clean underwear in case you have to go to the hospital and then they can see them. This is, it's, it's that important. But what's happening here is if you remember when God had the people of Israel build the uncut altar at the base of Mount Sinai and he said, no one can look upon your nakedness is why he made it low. Well, in this culture, um, the religious leaders, their nakedness would have been desired to have been seen. And then all kinds of ridiculous acts would have happened at the altar. God is covering the nakedness of his priests as if to say, we're not like them. We're not like them. But even the detail in which God goes to to make sure these priests are clean, that they're set apart, they're consecrated, goes even that far. So you've seen the picture of it. You've seen what it all looks like. I need you to know, if we were to make that today, it would cost upwards of $10,000 for the high priest to wear. Now, you already make fun of the clothes I wear, so I'm not even going to try to do anything like that. But can you imagine if you come to church and Joel steps up to lead worship in a $10,000 outfit? How quickly would you leave? You would come here and you would sit, you would drive your old rickety 88 Nissan to church, and then your worship pastor gets up with a $10,000 outfit on. If that happens, please go somewhere else. Please leave, because we are not stewarding your funds well enough. You're giving well enough. But this high priest is taking $10,000 worth of material, and he's wearing it. Now, I would imagine that none of us here have worn $10,000 worth of clothes at one time. 
Some of you have that in your closet because you're addicted to TJ Maxx, and that's fine. I'm just saying all at once, $10,000, pure gold, precious stones and metals. I mean, the best of linen, $10,000 worth. This is what the high priest would have been wearing. And the priest's outfit would have cost anywhere uh, from $1,500 to $2,500 just based on the material being worn there. But back in verse 2, we learn these holy garments for Aaron and your brother were for glory and for beauty, for honor and beauty. And it feels frivolous, doesn't it? That a God who's so concerned with rescue and redemption and peace and stewardship would have his high priest wearing a $10,000 outfit. But it's for glory and beauty. But then in verse 41 of chapter uh, 28, we learn that they shall put them on Aaron, your brother, and on his sons, and shall do three things. Shall anoint them, ordain them, and consecrate them that they might serve God as priests. Well, chapter 29 covers the, ordaining, the anointing, the ordaining, and the consecrating. And it happens with, whole, with water. It happens with the blood of rams and bulls. It happens uh, pretty grotesquely how it happens. Let me just tell you what it actually means, what's going on. To anoint them, that word means to empower them. To anoint someone means to give them power. It's when you anoint someone, they're given power. So he says, I want you to anoint them, give them power, empower them, give them what they need, or give them, uh, make them a vessel for power. That's what it means to anoint. To ordain is then to fill that vessel, to be filled. So empower them, give them what they need for power, and then fill them with power. Anoint, ordain, and then consecrate means to set aside for an intended purpose. That's what consecrate means. Not just to set aside like those dishes or that candle, but to set aside for a purpose that they, it will be used. Empower, fill, set aside for an intended purpose. And he continues in 41 and says, the purpose is that they may serve me as priests. What's interesting is in the Hebrew language, that word serve and that word priests is the same word. One's the verb form, one's the noun form. And so God literally says, anoint them, ordain them, and consecrate them that they might priest as priests. I want my priest to be doing priestly things. In other words, a priest is a servant, one who serves. So then the question is, what does that even look like? What does the serving even look like? Well, in the ordination, in the anointing and ordaining and, and consecrating, at one point in the ceremony, they would have taken the, the blood of a bull and they would have taken the blood and they would have put it on the, the right earlobe of the priest, then on his right big finger, index finger or thumb, they're not sure which one, and then the right big toe of the priest, which seems really ridiculous, doesn't it? I mean, the priest is wearing all white. And the guy's like, let me put some blood over there. So he puts it on the lobe. The representation is everything that is exposed would also be consecrated and set apart. But set apart for what? Well, according to chapter 27, they're set apart to light the lampstand, to light the candle. Now listen, $10,000 outfit to light candles feels a bit excessive if you're asking me. 
Like it just feels excessive, but this just, but that makes a little sense, right? Like that feels ceremonial, that feels liturgical, that feels important. So, okay, we get that. But if you were to keep reading into Leviticus, and we did some of it last week, you want to know what the main role of a priest is? Is to slaughter animals and offer sacrifices. $10,000 outfit, white and blue, pure gold. The priest in all white and his job is to offer sacrifices, to slaughter animals, to splash blood on the altar, to burn flesh on the altar. This is the role of the priest in the all white. Now, some of you mamas are going to get home today and you're going to want your kids to play outside. And you're going to tell them, don't you go outside in your nice clothes. You go change and put on some play clothes. Aren't you going to say that? Go put on some play clothes. They're not changing and putting on play clothes. They're not, they're not putting on overalls. They're not putting on their grungy stuff to go paint. They're, no, no, no. This is what they're wearing. According to the historian Josephus, he says in the, in the Passover that would follow the death and resurrection of Jesus that next year, 256,500 lambs were killed in the temple on that Passover. Killed by priests, 256,500 lambs during Passover. The Hebrew Talmud tells us that at Passover, the blood in the temple was up to the knees of the priests. This $10,000 outfit, pure white for the priests, wading in knee-deep blood and carcasses of dead animals, splashing blood, pulling out entrails, breaking open flesh and bone. I mean, there's this smell of smoke rising up from the altar. Some of you won't even sit outside at a campfire with good clothes on. Burning flesh and no change of clothes because these garments of glory and beauty were also the garments of sacrifice. These garments, these $10,000 garments, weren't meant just to be looked at. These were their work clothes. This is what they got dirty in, what they got messy in. And the role of a priest was not to stand back to watch someone else do the work. The role of the priest was to get in it and to do the work on behalf of the people. That was, that was the job. Didn't matter, it didn't matter. You're wearing all white. Go do what you are called to do. Because priests are ministers, not mannequins. You put things on mannequins that people can look at them and then maybe want to be drawn in to purchase or put that on themselves. But ministers put clothes on to do the dirty work of ministry. That's what, that's what they put the, the, the garments on for. And there are many of us here this morning who might be clothed like a priest, but you're working like a mannequin. Sure, you look the part you look like glory and beauty, but at the end of the day, you've got no sacrifice on you. You've got no blood on you. You've got no mess on you. You've got no smell on you. You've got nothing. The role of a priest is to be a minister and not a mannequin. These are daily sacrifices, daily cleaning up blood, daily pulling out the guts of an animal, sweating daily in the Middle East heat. This is the role of a priest. 
It's the role of the minister. Not to stand back in the air conditioning, not to look the part and make people think you're better than them, but to actually get in the midst of it. In Revelation chapter 19, we read that um, Jesus is coming to rescue us. He's coming back one day. The apostle John sees a vision on the island of Patmos and, and he sees this happening. In Revelation chapter 19, John says, I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems or crowns and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. Throughout the New Testament, we learn, particularly in the book of Hebrews, that Jesus has taken the place of the high priest. He's the one who enters the holy of holies. He's the one who gets into the presence of God and who offers the sacrifice, which is himself. He has become our high priest and we read in Revelation 19 that our high priest, when he comes back to rescue all of us, to, to redeem his people called by his name, he comes in a white robe stained in blood. But what's interesting is the war hasn't begun yet. That blood is not the blood of war. That is the blood of sacrifice. That is the blood of the spotless lamb. Jesus, our high priest, is not a mannequin. He's a minister. Jesus didn't stand back in his high, uh, high place in heaven. No, no, no. According to the book of John, he tabernacled. He descended, Philippians chapter 2. He gave equality with God and became a man. Our high priest, our Savior, Jesus, is not a mannequin. He's a minister. But then look at this, verse 14. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. Who is the armies of heaven? Well, that's you and that's me if you're following Jesus. And notice what we're wearing, fine linen, white and pure. While Jesus, the high priest, is stained in the blood of sacrifice, you and I are pure and clean because the great high priest has ministered. He has bowed down. He's bared our burdens that he might take on the sacrifice and that we might then be clean. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. A winepress would have been covered in the juice of the grapes that would become wine and it would stain anyone who tread upon it. And then verse 16, on this robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I'm not saying Jesus has a tattoo, but Revelation is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So our high priest, our great high priest, did not stand at a distance, but instead engaged and got the mess of sacrifice on him. And we see it even in his return. We just sang about it. He's acquainted with our grief. He's, he's wallowed in the sorrow. This is our high priest who can empathize with us. What's interesting is that throughout the New Testament, there's a shift that happens where we're no longer a people with a priest. We are now a kingdom of priests. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a priest. And you better be priesting 
if you're going to call yourself a priest. A holy nation, a kingdom of priests. We then are ministers and not mannequins. So the question that begs to be asked this morning is, you got any sacrifice on you? Or is your robe spotless? Or have you been in the midst of the grime and the blood and the entrails of sacrifice? That you would stand at the gate of the temple ready to offer sacrifice on behalf of other people. Have, have you given yourself to him? In Galatians chapter 6, Paul tells the people of Galatia, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, that's sin, rebellion, you who are spiritual, priests, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Verse 2, bear, we saw that four or five times in Exodus 28, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the role of a priest is to get in the junk of life and help people bear their burdens. But there are far too many of us who are acting as mannequins, refusing to get it on us. The call of a priest, and if you're a Christian, you're a priest, is to get the blood of the sacrifice on you. As they bring the animals and they bring the ram and they bring the sheep and the doves, it's up to us to help them with the sacrifice, to get it all over us. Because if Jesus, the high priest, is coming with blood on his robe before the war, how dare you and I think we should keep ours clean? The role of the priest is to get in it, is to get it on us. Yeah, if I hang out with him, I'm going to smell like cigarettes. Well, okay. Maybe you should then. Yeah, what are people going to think? I don't know. I mean, Jesus hung out with tax collectors and sinners. They thought things about him. The role of a priest is to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ to rest, is to restore. If your experience is anything like mine in my life, in the deepest, darkest, most shameful moments of my life, you know who were the most priestly people to me? Non-Christians. The ones who got in it with me, the ones who checked on me, the ones who, who uh, brought meals, the ones who would stop by, the ones who would want to go have lunch. You know who they were? They were non-Christians, except for a handful of men. That's who they were. And people who looked apart, who dressed like priests, were nowhere to be found because they didn't want to become stained by my sin. May it not be so among the people of God. The role of a priest is to get in it. We bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Well, there's a process, right? I mean, there's a process to it according to Exodus 29. An anointing, an ordaining, and a consecrating. So how do we do it? Well, Colossians 3, Paul tells us, we need to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And in these two, you once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You've put on the new garments 
which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, as his appoint anointed ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. What do we put on? These things all have to do with relationships. What good is compassion if you're not around people who need compassion? What good is kindness if you're not around people who need you to be kind to them? What good is humility if you're not around people needing humility? What good is meekness if you're not around people who need your strength under control? What good is patience if you're by yourself? Bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And then let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You want to wear the clothes of the priest that you might be set apart, that people might look at you like, oh, I can't, but look how, look how glorious and beautiful they are. Look how pure they must be. And yet the Bible says, the beauty and the glory comes from the sacrifice. If there are too many Christians in the world who would rather stand aside as mannequins than actually get in it like a minister. And the truth is, this morning, you have people in your life, and you know it because the moment I start talking about messes, their, mind, their name comes to your mind. And instead of running to the mess, you run from it. Instead of running towards bearing, getting up under, to get down in it, that you might bear their burden. Instead of running to it, you're running from it. And in your running from it, if you're honest, you're gossiping about them. There's malice in your heart towards them. I just wonder what would happen if priests started priesting. If we weren't afraid to get a little sacrifice on us. If it's a spouse or a son or a daughter or a coworker or a friend you used to have that became somebody you didn't think you knew anymore. The role of a priest is to get the blood of the sacrifice on them. There are a number of people in our church who are those people. And praise God for you. Last weekend, we had a big funeral here for Danny Myers, and so Jeff Ayers is helping organize all of it. Uh, Daryl is here as our executive pastor, and he has a part to play in it. Cody speaks in it. So, you know, they're, they're dressed up. Some of you wore shorts, and that's fine. I don't know how your mama raised you. Uh, my mama raised me not to wear shorts to a funeral, but that's whatever. It's fine. So, um, but these guys are speaking. They're part of the funeral. And, you know, I mean, collared shirts, shirts tucked in, maybe even coats, doing a few things. And I walk upstairs to where they're serving the meal to the family and friends who had stayed around. It's time to clean up. And I'm looking around. I can't find any of them. And then I see Daryl come out with a broom Cody with a mop 
and Jeff carrying trash bags. And I was like, that, that's being a priest. You have people in your life who are desperate for a priest, but you're too busy doing, being a mannequin, standing back, not wanting to get it on you. You better get it on you because there's a great high priest who's coming to get you and he's got your mess on him. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and go to the Lord. I don't know where you find yourself here this morning. Maybe for you, you're the mess. Maybe what you need this morning is to come to an altar and to offer whatever you have to the Lord. Maybe it doesn't feel like much. Maybe it just feels like brokenness and pain and chaos. Well, you can today. Father's arms are open. And what was keeping you from God has been torn down. You have direct access to him today. Then I wonder how many of us this morning have the clothes of the priest on, but we're not priesting. For whatever reason, we've kept our distance, whatever reason, we've stopped calling and texting and checking in, for whatever reason, we've stopped following up. For whatever reason, we've cut off communication, and sometimes that needs to happen, but maybe for you, there's someone that you know. So what has to happen this morning is you need to be reminded to put on then as an anointed one, compassionate heart. Maybe you need to be reminded that you too once walked in it. Maybe we need to grab a mop and run to the mess. Maybe that's a mess of someone personally. Maybe it's a mess organizationally somewhere. Maybe it's a mess locally in our government. Maybe it's national, but instead of standing back and promoting your purity, maybe we need to start engaging in the mess. I'm gonna pray, and if you need to, if you need to come down here and come to the altar and uh, give that sacrifice, if you need to come down and there's someone that you need to make amends with, someone you need to reach out with, you need to call or text them, you're free. Go to the hallway, go outside, call and text them. Say, I'm, I'm sorry for being a mannequin when God's called me to be a minister. Father, I love you. It is a joy to serve you. And God, there are people in our room who are weary from the ministering. They're weary from the, the day in and day out, from evening to morning work of being a priest. So God, even now, I pray that you would restore them, remind them that it is heavy work, to be under um, the pain and guilt and burden of someone else is heavy. But it's a good thing you've called us to. And keep them from growing weary and doing good. If any of us this morning have had people brought to our minds, of people that we've run from their mess instead of to it, God, I pray that you would convict us deeply about it. Remind us of the high calling it is to put on the garments of a priest. anyone here this morning who their mess is keeping them from you, God, I pray you would draw them to your heart. 
And even in these moments, God, that you would bring along a priest to walk alongside of them, to show them what it is to sacrifice on the altar. God, make us a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.